How you guys doing? Good. Good morning. I'm Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico. It's my privilege to be here with you. And welcome, whether you're new or are one of the founding members of Portico. Um, we're so glad that you're here to worship with us. And this morning, we are jumping back into our series in Revelation after a unforeseen break um, last week due to a minor injury um, that I sustained, but I'm doing fine. It's much better than it could have been. So thank you for those who are concerned and praying. I appreciate that. Um, Revelation is, as you guys remember, it's a prophetic work about revealing to us what's kind of behind the scenes of our lives, of human history. What is God doing beneath the surface? And so God gives this vision to John to write down and to record and to pass on to us, and we get to kind of um, do some work to interpret it and to take it in. And so one of the things that can happen when you're going through Revelation is that you can get overwhelmed by the details. All of the symbols and the repetitions and all of the Old Testament allusions can really kind of get us bogged down, and then we get lost and we lose sight of the bigger picture. And so today we are going to kind of zoom out a little bit. We're going to be covering Revelations 15 and 16, so two chapters, but not really, because we've already done so much work in understanding what um, these different symbols of judgment are communicating to us. If you guys remember, we've had the seven seals, and we've had the seven trumpets, and now Revelation 15 and 16 is about the seven bowls. And these are all kind of showing different perspectives of the same thing, which is God's judgment being poured out from heaven onto the earth in order to redeem and remake and recreate the earth perfectly. And so that same thing is happening here in these two chapters, but there's an emphasis now that's added to kind of move the story up the field. And that emphasis comes in the form of a song, a vision of people singing. And so we have to kind of enter into the vision a little bit in order to kind of understand and experience what John may have been experienced so that we can understand what he's trying to communicate. So if you would, with me, imagine that you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you hear a massive stadium filled with people all singing. And it's loud and it's um, very easy to hear what they're singing about. Would you just keep walking? Would you just be like, oh, no big deal? No, you would stop. There's something about singing that for us speaks about glory and communicates something transcendent. It's a little bit out of the ordinary. It's a way of communicating, hey, there's spe something special going on here. If you guys watch the um, opening ceremonies of the Olympics, this kind of happened, but not really. Um, it was a stadium not full of people. <laughs> and what were they singing? They were singing Imagine, right, by the Beatles, which is a little bit ironic because it's an anthem of human triumph. We don't need heaven. We don't need hell. 
humans can do this. We can create this utopia. We can experience heaven on earth by ourselves, by our own power. The irony is great because we're seeing this in the midst of a pandemic that's completely thwarting us. And the author of that story was a victim of grave evil at his death. He was assassinated. He was killed. And so even as we are thinking about the Olympics and how great it is, I mean, they had this cool globe with drones. It was awesome. Yet there's underneath the surface, there's kind of this lingering question. And it's like, that song doesn't last. That song gets drowned out. It might really catch our attention and captivate our imaginations for a few minutes, but then we go back into the real world where it's defeated time and time again. And so this morning, we are going to look at a different group of people singing a different song, and I want us to ask some questions that I think would be natural if you came across this scene. Okay, who is singing? Who is this that is singing and is making this noise? And then what are they singing? And then finally, why are they singing? So let's read. We're just going to read Revelation 15, 1 through 8. And it's, again, in the context of these seven bowls being poured out, which are, very, are just expressing the same thing as the seven trumpets and the seven seals. So read with me in Revelation 15, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands." And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to come here as your people and to sing to you and to be reminded of why we sing and to be reminded of who we are as we're singing and who you are. And so, Lord, I ask that you would be with us here this morning, that we would um, be reminded of why we sing, of why our lives are marked with songs in unique and special ways. 
And so, God, I ask that we would learn from your people of old, from Moses, from the Israelites, and as we look into your word, that you would help us sing and that you would set us free from all of the things that try to prevent us from singing. And pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so who is it that's singing? In verse 1 and 2, you see John looking, and he sees all of those who had conquered the beast and the image and its number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps. And it's fairly simple to know, this is all of God's people, right? All of God's people conquered the beast because we are found in Jesus, and Jesus conquered the beast. His death and resurrection were the decisive moment of victory of Jesus over Satan. And so we are trusting in him, and we receive his victory, and so we have all conquered the beast and his image. And so this is us, This is all of God's people from all time. And so as we're looking at this vision, we're getting a glimpse into what is true about us from God's perspective. And so this is important. It's not necessarily what's true about us from our perspective or what we think, what we experience. But this is something when God sees us, he sees us singing to him in this way. Why does he see us singing to him in this way? Well, this is very reminiscent of another time when God's people were singing. And the same imagery is used, and it's in Exodus 24, verse 10. And I'm just going to go ahead and read it, and you can hear the similarities, and then I'll give you a little bit of the context and why that matters. So this is Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel going up, and they see the God of Israel. There was under God's feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, but they beheld God and ate and drank. And so this scene is actually the fulfillment of that prior scene. When God had delivered Israel from Egypt through the plagues, which are reminiscent of the wrath, of the bowls of wrath, they kind of mirror each other. This is a scene that fulfills that. Because now, all of a sudden, instead of just God sitting up there on the throne with the the floor of glass, all of the people are up there singing and kind of coaxing God out. And so these are the redeemed people of God. Who are singing. So in this number, you will not find a single person who says, I actually defeated evil myself, so I'm good. There's no one who is working their own self-salvation in this group. It is a bunch of people who, just like Israel, fleeing from Pharaoh and Pharaoh's armies, had no other option but to actually go into a sea that was parted for them. That is who's singing. It's people who have completely and utterly forsaken their own ability to save themselves and are trusting God for that. The people are also unafraid. So if you notice, that's one of the differences here, is that these people are 
at the throne of God, and they're singing, kind of coaxing God's presence out of the temple. And they're singing in anticipation of these bowls being poured out. They're singing in anticipation of the perfect justice and wrath of God to come to the earth. And they are not afraid. It's very different from Israel. After they had been delivered through the Red Sea, God's like, hey guys, I'm going to meet you on Mount Sinai. And then he tells Moses, yeah, okay, let's try to get the rest of the people to come meet with me too. But you you need a couple days to prepare yourselves. And so he gave them some purification um, instructions to do for two days. And then on the third day, he was going to meet with them. And after the two days, he's like, yeah, this is not going to cut it. They have to stay there. If they see me, they'll be destroyed. The people were afraid. They were so afraid that even after Moses goes up and meets with God, he kind of absorbs a little bit of God's glory and is reflecting it. And the people are like, we can't even talk to Moses now. Somebody else come and tell us what Moses was going to tell us because he's freaking us out. The people had an awareness that their impurity, their imperfection would not last in the presence of even a little bit of reflected glory from God. So they had fear. This people is not afraid. This is the perfected people of God singing with one voice. So what are they singing? Well, in verse 3 and 4, you see what they're singing. And it's introduced, the song has a title. It is the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And so this is interesting to kind of consider what John means by the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And it would be really easy and neat and clean if he just then quoted one part of a song that the Israelites sang. Maybe it was after they came through the Red Sea and um, they're led in song and they sing a particular song. Or maybe it's later in the book when they're in the wilderness and they're singing, reflecting on the redemption that they've received But in verse 4, John's quoting like six different passages in the Old Testament. And so it's kind of scattered. But he summarizes all of those passages as the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses is singing about that event, about that redemptive event where God delivers the people through the Red Sea and judges Egypt and saves all of the Israelites from destruction and from slavery. He liberates them. But that victory, that liberation, that song is singing about local and temporary redemption. It was local because it was just for Israel, and it was temporary because it didn't liberate Israel from their own sins. They went into the wilderness and remained slaves to their own sinful desires. They couldn't serve God. They couldn't be God's people as they were meant to be. So it was local and temporary. But it is a song of deliverance, and it's a song about the incomparable power and justice of God. And so even though it's local and temporary, it's not nothing. They really did receive liberation from severe oppression. And so we can't minimize that because then we're just not doing a good job of putting ourselves in their position. If you and your family had been enslaved and oppressed for generations 
and then you were set free, that would be so meaningful to you. And that song would contain power. But it's not supposed to stop there. And that's why it's not just called the Song of Moses, but it's also called the Song of the Lamb. Moses is just a prelude to Jesus. His song is kind of an introductory verse that finds its resolution in the Song of the Lamb. The Song of the Lamb is a song about universal and eternal redemption. And we see this when we think about this song in those two categories. We see the richness of this. So let's look at some of these um, verses in verse 3b and 4 and see, okay, here's how this is the song of Moses. Here's how this is the song of the Lamb. Because now we're learning what these people are singing. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. So Moses is the intermediary for God's people. God's people are seeing God's deeds worked through Moses as he is calling down the plagues onto Egypt and onto Pharaoh. He's an intermediary that is bringing forth God's power. Jesus is God working in human flesh. The work that Jesus does as the God-man needs no second half. It's complete. It's final. It's fulfilled. Just and true are your ways, O king of the nations. Moses is singing this song, and we sing the song of Moses, because Moses delivers justice and truth to the people. He brings down the Ten Commandments that show God's character as being perfect and just, that reveal what is true in a twisted world that's in desperate need of truth. He delivers the, one, he delivers the law as one who is under that same law. Jesus fulfills the law. The song of the Lamb is a song about the fulfillment of the law. And someone who walked perfectly in the law and frees his people from the bondage of the law. Jesus is the truth that Moses is pointing towards. And then finally, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So we see the revelation of this righteousness that brings universal fear and worship and perfect redemption. And you see this in the Song of Moses because this is demonstrated to Egypt. Like God's power in his holiness is demonstrated to the nation of Egypt on full display. It humbles Egypt. It destroys their armies, takes away their strength, destroys their leader. They fear Yahweh. But Jesus, he demonstrates his perfect authority and power and holiness universally. And that's what we see when he's pouring out his judgment completely in a universal way. It's not just one nation, it's the entire world, it's the entire universe that is experiencing the wrath 
of God. And so you see all of the prophets, priests, and kings of Israel who are going to be wrapped up and summarized in this song of Moses. They couldn't actually deliver that final redemption that Israel needed and that the entire world needs. It's only finally delivered by the prophet, priest, and king of Jesus. He brings full and final redemption universally. And so here's a question that we have to ask right now. Just pause for a second. Which song are you singing? Which song does your life show you to be singing? Are you singing the song of Moses, which is about a local, temporary redemption, restoration, deliverance? Is that where your heart is finding its deepest longing? Is that where you're attaching your hopes? Are you so concerned about that local experience of redemption that that's the only song that you're singing? The song of Moses will fade unless it's resolved in the song of the Lamb. Because as you guys know, our lives are kind of tossed to and fro. Our experience on this earth, yes, we do receive deliverance that's real and powerful, and we enjoy that and we rejoice in it. We do receive relief from suffering and from sin on this earth, but it's always temporary. There's always a return to it. There's always more work to be done. And so if your mind and heart are consumed with looking at that temporary relief, then your song will fade. And that's why John pushes us into the song of the Lamb. It's a song of finding your full and final redemption in Christ. And you can only do this when you look on your life with the eyes of faith. Because a lot of times it doesn't look like we're victorious. A lot of times it doesn't look like we're victorious over the land or over the beast. A lot of times it seems like we're being defeated. And this is what the early church was facing in John's own time. They were being persecuted by Rome. They were being oppressed. They were being forced to recant their trust in Jesus. And so John is instructing them to look on their lives and their circumstances with the eyes of faith. Believe that the Lamb has conquered for them and claim that victory. And then finally, why, why are these people singing? So now we know what they're singing. They're singing the song of Moses that resolves in the song of the Lamb. But why are they singing? Why sing? Why, why aren't they just sitting there kind of reciting things that are true? Why sing? Well, singing, as you guys know, it, it speaks of something beyond us. It is kind of the full expression that humans know how to give something and attribute glory to that thing. Because it's, it's ultimately, it's beautiful, and so it's, it happens when we see something that is so beautiful that we want to 
imitate. We want to participate in that beauty. And we've experienced this. Even if you don't like singing, you've still experienced this. You might be at a sporting event where there's a fight song that the whole stadium starts singing. It might be at a concert where, you know, the musician steps back from the microphone and the whole concert venue is singing and filling it in. And it's this transcendent and beautiful experience. And so they're singing, they're singing because of that reality, because of who we are and who we're created to be. But then they're also singing because they are calling God out. God is in his sanctuary. He's in his holy temple. His presence is contained there, and they're calling God out. They're saying, God, it is time. Because they know as God's presence comes out, his redemptive work is finished. And so they are actually singing for and because of the wrath of God. It's pretty crazy. That's not how we think of God's wrath. We think of God's wrath as like one of the skeletons in God's closet. It's like one of the uncomfortable things that we don't like to think about God. It's like, yeah, sometimes dad gets angry. And it's not fun. And it's not pretty. That's how we think of God's wrath, naturally. But we're seeing God's wrath as something very different here. God's wrath is purifying. It's life-giving. Because it comes out against every single form of evil, darkness, and oppression that is threatening his good and perfect creation. And he destroys it. So if people sing when they see something glorious and beautiful, and in this picture we see ourselves singing, coaxing God's final wrath out of the temple to be poured out on the earth, we know that that wrath is glorious and beautiful and good. Here's why we don't sing. And we have to go here because we're imperfect. We're not yet perfected. <laughs> and so here's why we don't sing. We don't sing because other people are singing. And so, you know, you can come to church and you just grew up in church and so you know, oh, I'm supposed to sing, other people are singing. It's kind of like social pressure. I'm just going to fit in, so I'm going to sing. That's not the singing that's going on here. And that's not a good reason to sing. So that's not why we sing. We also don't sing because we want to attract attention to ourselves. So if your singing is trying to draw attention to you, then you're not singing in the way of the Song of the Lamb. You're not singing this type of song because this type of song is pushing all of the attention and focus onto the object, and it's God singing to glorify and worship him. And then we don't sing because we think we have to sing, as if like God has saved us and then he puts us in a cage to sing eternally, and we're just going to kind of be bored, rotely singing for an eternity. That's not why we sing. And so those are all reasons why maybe we're singing, but not with the right motivations. But then there's other things that keep us from singing as well, aren't there? 
suffering. When you are suffering, your natural impulse is not to sing. Your natural heart response is not to give glory to God. And so suffering really takes our ability to sing and limits it and makes it difficult, puts an obstacle up. And then sometimes we don't sing because we don't feel or we aren't experiencing what we're singing about for whatever reason. Maybe it's you're kind of living in captivity to a sin at that moment. Maybe you're kind of singing these wonderful songs about all that Jesus has done for you, and you're like, I don't feel that at all right now. And so how can I sing that? And so maybe you still just mouth the words, but your heart isn't free in its singing. We don't sing because we're hurt. We don't sing because we have an experience of oppression and pain weighing us down. And so in this vision, we are seeing, remember, a glimpse of how things truly are. We're reminded that all of God's people are singing perfectly in a way that is bringing God's presence to the earth, filling the whole earth with the glory of God. And so right here today, this morning, we have an invitation. It's an invitation to think about those things that are getting in the way of you singing like this. Think about those things. What, think, just identify one thing, one thing right now that is getting in the way of you singing like this. And now let's think about the wrath of God. The wrath of God comes to destroy that thing. The wrath of God comes to set you free from that thing that is preventing you from experiencing joy so overwhelming, so magnificent, that singing isn't what you have to do. Singing is what you naturally most want to do and will do. It is an overflow of joy. So we're singing for God's wrath to destroy that. And we know that, that singing for God's wrath is something that we get a little bit uncomfortable with, but we have to remember that all evil, us included, our hearts, our desires, our actions that align ourselves with evil are destroyed at the cross of Christ. And all of the evil that exists in this day oppressing God's people will be destroyed when these bowls of wrath are fully poured out on the, on the earth. And so here this morning, we're pushed into a call to sing and a call to experience and know God. And so sing in the freedom that God's victory has given you. Sing in the freedom that God's victory has given you. And if that's hard, that's okay. Remember, this is, we're seeing what's truly happening. And that as God is looking at you through Christ, that is how he sees you singing. And that's a God worth singing to. That is a redeemer that deserves this song. 
And so we get to sing not just with our voices, although that is true, but with our entire lives, we should be reflecting the song of the Lamb. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, that you have given us this word and this vision, this assurance, this confidence that all that is evil, all that is threatening your perfect creation, all that is threatening your people, Lord, will be destroyed, and that death itself will be destroyed. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for the power and the perfection of who you are, that you are able to do that, and that you have seen fit to include us in this heavenly choir that is singing your glory. And so, Lord, for the rest of this morning, I ask that you would just help us, that you would help us live in that today, that you would help, help us experience it as your people, that we would sing to you, and that we would leave this place this morning with our entire lives being one of song. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.